This show is part of the Electric Agora network of podcasts. Joshua Rasmussen, great to see you again. Great to be with you. Thanks, Dan. Uh, welcome to everybody in Sophia land. Um, I'm here again with uh, Joshua Rasmussen, um, who has been on twice before um, uh, for some very interesting conversations. Um, Joshua is a prof- uh, associate professor? Or, yeah. Yeah, associate professor right. at Azusa State University? Azusa Pacific University. Azusa Pacific University, which is, we talked about last time, is in Southern California or Middle? Yes. Southern California. Um, and um, you work primarily in metaphysics, epistemology, but also uh, theology, I take Philosophy of religion, sure. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we are here to talk about a bunch of issues having surrounding uh, the sources of intelligibility, the sources of meaning and the sources of morality. Um, And this is the result of me reaching out to Joshua. I I, I, provocatively a little bit because in the, you know, we disagree in a lot of stuff, um, but Joshua is one of those people that you can have civil, reasonable conversations with even about things that that matter a lot to us um, and that we that that people are inclined to get upset about. Um, But Joshua is immune to this, which is why it's such a pleasure to talk to him. I don't think I've ever seen you lose your cool once. I mean, (laughs) ever. No, and I've watched like all your I've watched almost all of your atheist theist debates. I've never Mm. seen you once become intemperate. Is this just Start screaming personality or or does this require effort on your part to sort of oh my goodness so? uh, it certainly does i mean there are conversations i've been in that i felt completely drained and i felt like i had to replenish myself and it has to do with like maybe how much tension there is in the conversation but like i really want to have a productive conversation like for me that's the most fun but i mean it does take work and there are times where after i'm depleted and i go talk with my wife that conversation maybe doesn't go as well as the one that i just had before because right. i'm out of it you, you used up all your civility <laughs> all and then you go and you, you kick the you kick the dog right i mean it's just like yeah no I you totally got it that. totally get that um anyway so i had i had sent joshua a number of pieces that i wrote where um where um i i where this is the central issue and maybe i'll just start off with you know, uh, a, a few uh, statements on these fronts and we'll just go back, back and forth naturally. Um, Joshua and I both agree kind of ahead of time that the kinds of stuff we're talking about today probably really is not demonstrable. And so to sort of have to fight about it, it seems kind of silly, right? Um, um, it's more a matter of figuring, seeing how each of us looks at the world and, and ourselves in it and, and, and mm-hmm. about our own lives and, and, and all of that. So Joshua, here's here's what's motivated me. Um, um, I'm re- I've reached a point in my life. I'm 53 years old. Um, my parents are very near their end. That their whole generation is kind of gone. Mm-hmm. I'm now thinking about myself now, in a sense, becoming their generation relative to my own children. Um, you know, it's far off. My father's 93. I'm only 53. But, you know, I, it's more like the stage of life I'm in has made me very reflective um, and um, thinking more about my own life and, and, and my place in the world and what I think about things. Um, and so I do consume a lot of material that involves religious apologists talking to non-religious people. Mm-hmm. Um 
one thing I wish there was a bit more of that you don't see very much of is cross religious conversation. I, I really, I really would like Christian apologists to have to talk to some very well-educated Jews mm-hmm. um, because I think they get away with an awful lot of, uh, of assertions about the Hebrew scriptures that I think educated Jews could very um, easily uh, uh, at least problematize. And um, so that's one thing that I don't see very much of. And I suspect mm. it's probably because the Jews don't want to do it more than that. The Christians don't it seems to me that Christians are willing to talk to any, anybody. Um, but so I consume a lot of that sort of material. I read a lot of stuff. I follow people online. And one of the things that I keep seeing apologists say is that not only is God facilitative of, but is somehow necessary mm-hmm. um, and somehow explains a, the intelligibility of things, B, the significance of lives, mm-hmm. right? Where the lives have meaning and C, morality. Okay. Now I find this completely puzzling and I can explain why. Um, and I and I do so in the in the essays. But I also think I've also equally am starting to find that the appeals to philosophy to explain these things I find rather unsatisfying and mystifying. And I find increasingly seems to me to be from the same impulse, mm-hmm. right? This desire for there somehow to be an external standard, an external measure an external determinant. Mm-hmm. And for all sorts of reasons that we're going to get into, I just don't, A, I don't think there is one, but B, even if there is one, I don't think it would help, I guess is what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. Now, I may be assuming, but I'm assuming as a, as a religious person yourself who teaches in a religious institution, who does apologetics himself in addition to all your academic work, which mm-hmm. by the way, one day you'll have to tell me how the hell you do all this stuff. Because bit by bit, just a little bit every day. I could barely do what I'm doing, and you do about five times as much as I do because you're also an active academic publisher, and I'm not anymore. Um, so I was just assuming that you would mm. find usefulness both in God and in philosophy on these fronts, and so I thought you'd be a very good person to have this conversation with because mm. we could have a useful contrast. Yeah. That's long enough. Please, you talk now. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that there, there can be a very interesting contrast. But before getting to that contrast, when I read your articles, I was kind of celebrating. I was like thinking, this is, this is really good. There's a lot here I agree with. So I wanted to maybe start with that, uh, some points of agreement, maybe draw you out. So you made this distinction between the meaning of life and meaning in life. And I thought this was a great distinction. I wondered if you could sort of elaborate on that. And then I want to maybe offer something that um, explains why I agree that there's actually a problem if you appeal to like a supreme being to provide meaning to life itself. I think there is a problem there. And so, and I want to add to your thoughts on that, but if you want to just elaborate on that distinction. Yeah. I think it's that like you, you hear people talk about the meaning of life. Now, usually it's meant casually and it's not, it's not very heavily philosophically loaded but you and I also swim in, in philosophical waters um, in which people do mean it in a philosophically loaded way. And, you know, in philosophy, 
it takes the form of a kind of a eudaimonism, right? I mean, mm. that, that, that there is the good life or the, the life of human flourishing. And, and what characterizes it is it's supposed to be general, right? Um, that is that it's sort of applicable to us by virtue of being human. And then it seems to me that the religious version is only superficially different, right? I mean, yes, it involves a supernatural, more personified being, but the, the traditional eudaimonist ones presuppose at least some sort of very um, uh, teleologically thick metaphysics, which strikes yeah. me as being not uh, interestingly dissimilar from this perspective, not from others, yeah. but from this, from what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, so that's one idea, the meaning of life. Yeah, that's either then grounded in philosophy, some eudaimonism, or grounded in some theistic uh, story about the creation of human beings and their specialness and all of that and what they're supposed to do according to God's plans. But then there's the idea of meaning in life. Yeah, <laughs> and that's sort of just the sort of thing of whether you know your life to you seems meaningful and significant. Mm -hmm. And um. I've heard both religious people, people like, I'll give one explicit example. William, I've heard William Lane Craig say this many times, right? Um, that there's no meaning in life unless you have it ultimately have an answer to the meaning, the meaning of life question, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. he then points says God is the only uh, possible answer. And I will hear people in philosophy say <laughs> about meaning in life that ultimately it too doesn't mean anything unless there is some account of the meaning of life. Um, and this is just something I simply reject in part because I don't think I've actually ever heard really an argument for it. I mean, it's mm. just sort of people just slide from one to the other. <laughs> and I do think it's part of this more general tendency um, of kind of thinking that a particular can't have any characteristics unless it's related to a universe. Uh-huh. Yeah. About which one has to be a realist. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think any of that's correct. Um, now, um, we can talk about morality and intelligibility if you want to talk about those separately, but that's the, the, the that's the elevator pitch version of, well, yeah, yeah. Elevator and, and ride, I, but relatively brief. Yeah. I think that's, that's very helpful. I mean, I think that, progress here involves clarifying terms. So it seems to me that you can have an experience of meaning. Like right now, this conversation has a certain kind of feeling of fulfillment. There's a, there's a interestingness to it. I consider it very meaningful. And now I'm not thinking that the meaning of this conversation, the meaning of the joy of connecting with somebody about ideas, I'm not thinking that the meaning of that joy depends on this external relation to some other being that says, yes, that's meaningful. And so this is where I, I think I'm, I'm fully agreeing with you is that I would say that um, there's intrinsic meaning. And in fact, um, that our conscious experiences in the present moment have intrinsic basic meaning just in virtue of their positive aspects. Um, and that these positive aspects are not grounded in a relation to some other being approving them and saying, you know what? Happiness is positive because I say so. I would say happiness is intrinsically positive. Okay. Yeah, I get that. I get it. So, right, so I, right, I agree right, 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 right. So, so no, I, that, I agree with that. When you were saying intrinsic meaning, I started to get worried, but now that you've said what it is, I, I, 
I, I, I agree. I mean, I, that's kind of what I'm getting at is that exactly. It's not universal. Cause I think, why does it need some giant thing outside for it to be good? Yeah. Because I, I hear you making two points. One is that it doesn't have to be universally applicable for it to be meaningful to you. And the other, it doesn't have to be externally approved for it to be meaningful. And I'm, I'm fully on board with that. In fact, I was thinking about a problem that theists would have if they would say that in order for life to be meaningful, there has to be a being that assigns the meaning. And I think the problem there is that you run into a kind of circularity with respect to the meaning of God's life. Because according to theism, God's supposed to be an original being. Nothing created God on purpose. You know, it's like if God thinks, you know, what's the purpose of my life? Well, the only way I could have purpose is if there's some being that externally created me for purpose, then there's a problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that there has to be some sense, even for the theist, to say that there's something intrinsically meaningful about love or joy or any kind of positive experience. And it doesn't depend on whether that continues forever and ever. It's just presently meaningful. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's actually yeah. exactly right. And I don't know if you remember, I think we talked about this. There was, I, I wrote an essay a while ago. I don't even remember what the essay was about, but at the end, I attached that this clip from Woody Allen's first movie, Take the Money and Run, where he's talking, no, no, not Take the Money and Run. I think it's Annie Hall, where he's a child and his mother takes him to the doctor because he won't do anything. And the doctor's like, well, what's wrong? And he says, well, the universe is expanding and, you know, eventually it's going to just all explode. And so <laughs> nothing. And the doctor who, by the way, is smoking, right. Is my favorite part of it. He's sitting there smoking. Cause I can remember when my doctor used to smoke in the office. Cause that's how old I am. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, which just cracks me up. So the doctor sitting there smoking is like, it's like, you know, you just kind of, you know, enjoy life as it comes, man, you know, just take it as it comes. And his mother says, you know, you live in Brooklyn, Brooklyn's not expanding. Right. Um, and uh-huh. That's you know, it's all, it's very funny, but it's partly funny because people really smart people do think this, right. And they say it. And I'm wondering, do you have a sense of, cause you know, the theists much better than I do. Where do you think this impulse comes from where, if what I'm doing now doesn't have some connection to some, some illustrious grand narrative, it doesn't mean anything. Where do you think that impulse comes from? Now I argue in the essay, it comes from a fundamental insecurity, right? Mm-hmm. We fund, we are fundamentally insecure and we're looking for validation, right? So it doesn't seem to us enough that we're enjoying it, right? It has to be part of something more important. But where do you think, what do you, where do you see it coming from either the, among theists or anybody? Yeah. What do you think it's done? That, that's a good question because I think maybe what's happening is that there's many different things that are valuable that you could want. So I remember when I was sort of agnostic about whether God exists. And I remember thinking about what this implies. And so I ran one simulation of reality where um, if God doesn't exist, then the universe is expanding there's sort of this heat death, all the consciousness is removed. And then I was thinking, okay, what does this mean for me? Well, it means that there's some point where I'm no longer conscious. And of course I won't be conscious of being no longer right. conscious, but it doesn't really help the fact that it feels better if there can be a continuation of valuable experiences. Yes. And, and, and it actually felt very deeply depressing to think that, oh my goodness, like there's going to be a time where it's just done and it'll, ne- and it'll be no more consciousness ever and ever, forever and ever and ever, uh, you know, and, and you could call that insecurity, you know, you could call that 
fear of something that just seems horrible, uh, or at least it's a lack of something positive. So I think there really is something sobering about thinking about that kind of reality. But going back to the earlier point, I don't think that the present meaning, the present value of experiences depends on their continuing to have value. I just think that there's certain value, including even certain value in the present, like the experience of anticipating a great future that continues. I think that's a present experience you can have, and that's a valuable experience if you can have that. If you, if you can't have that experience, then there's some value there that's missing. But that doesn't mean that happiness has no value in the present. So I think for me, it's just about making distinctions. It's just like saying, okay, here's something that would be valuable, but if it's not there, if that value is not there, that doesn't mean that happiness doesn't have intrinsic value. So, you, so you're, you're, in, it sounds to me, you're inclined to connect, connect what I'm calling insecurity, this worry that nice or good for me is not enough, right? Um, to existential dread, to sort of the, the fear of death. Whereas I think I'm inclined to, to think that they're separate, right? Because it could be the case, you know, um, um, the issue of, you know, existential dread and, 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 and wishing things to go on forever, that could all be perfectly legitimate and it could still be the case, nonetheless, that good or nice for me is good enough, right? You know what I mean? In other, in other words, it's good I, it enough. seems to me that the two issues are separate, it seems to me. So there's good enough and then there's good. Um, so, I mean, of... yeah. So certainly I, I would say our present positive conscious experiences have value. They're good all by themselves. Um, you know, that's the meaning in life. Is it good enough? Uh, well, I mean, I guess, you know, like if I'm, if I'm not worried about the future so much. And there's a certain health, I think, actually in being present and just mindfully experiencing the good that's in the present. And I think it can sometimes be unhealthy to get too preoccupied with the future. So, I mean, I could be not thinking about the future and, you know, my present experiences could be good enough. I guess I would want to know, like, you know, good enough for what exactly? And maybe it is relative from person. Well, good enough in the sense, uh, good enough in the following sense. Yeah good enough in that I'm not worried that it's not connected to a bigger story, a grander narrative, mm -hmm. a more important person. Right. You know what I mean? That's the sense of good enough. Um, and that's why I, th I thought it was separate from the issue of duration. Right. Because the question of duration strikes me as one thing. Yeah. Is it good if it doesn't go on forever? And I don't see why it wouldn't be, right? I can and think of all sorts of yeah. things that are good. And my, many of the things that are good are, are ephemeral in nature, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but what makes so the question of how long it goes on depends. is one question. But the, the other question of whether it's good enough relative to externals, transcendentals, whatever, strikes mm -hmm. me as a separate issue because the, the, the duration thing is something I've always struggled with. I'm the kid who, when, when, when he, when it was time to go home for play dates would throw tantrums mm. or hide in the kid's house. And then the poor parents would have to search for me, right. To find me, to drag me home. Um, mm. But I never, so I I've, I've experienced that thing of God, I want things to go on forever, but it never meant that I didn't, it never translated into, well, the fact that I went home meant that 
the good time wasn't a good time, right? Right, right. It wasn't right, wasn't sure. good, wasn't valuable enough. So I enough. view those as separate. Is there a reason why you're inclined to connect them? Well, I'm not sure. So I'm not quite. I'm still thinking about what it means to be good enough. I mean, I think I would separate those. Um, so let me just explore this with you. I mean, let's say that you could think that reality will unfold in a positive way. Every negative experience is usable for some greater good. Uh, and that even the, the sort of health problems and the relationship breaks, those are all actually ingredients for some greater good in a larger story. And your present experiences that are good are good, even if there isn't a greater story. Yeah. But if there were this greater story, it'd be even better. Would that add good? Yeah, it would be better. <laughs> I don't know if it'd be good enough, you know, or, or if the lack of it wouldn't be good enough. I'm not really sure exactly what, you know, what's at stake in terms of being good enough, but that it would at least be better. It would satisfy your, I was going to say soul, but for lack of a better word, that's fine. Your, your as, sort of as, deepest as longing, language, you know, your fine. deepest, yeah. maybe some of your most fundamental desires to continue in relationships yeah. with intrinsically valuable beings. Yeah. 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 Um, let me just say two things about that. Um, yeah. um, first of all, um, I do say things like this and tell me if you think this is the same in the same ballpark as what you're saying. Cause I'm inclined to think it's not, but I might be wrong about this. Mm -hmm. um, um, here's something I'll say, right? So the last three or four years have been pretty miserable. Um, and again, I want to, I want to be, I want to speak relatively, mm -hmm. relatively miserable could be a lot worse. I could be poor on top of it. You know, I mean, all these, you know, all these things, but it's been miserable. Why? Because my parents are disintegrating and dying. Mm -hmm. It's they're doing it badly, <laughs> mm -hmm. meaning it's not going a nice way. You know, congestive heart failure for my dad, Alzheimer's for my mom. Mm -hmm. They are completely blindsided by it, meaning they made no preparations whatsoever. They live still in their house. My father is very, very resistant to the sorts of help that really is necessary at this point, which means there's constant emergencies, constant crises. I'm getting call, you know, I get calls every day, you know, all this mm. sort of thing. Anyway, hospitalizations, more than one time I've, you know, basically ordered him into palliative and then he came back from it. I mean, all this sort of stuff, right? Miserable. But if you asked me, is there anything good? Is anything good come out of it? I'd say absolutely. Mm -hmm. In the following sense, I'm five times the man I was ten years ago. All this stuff has really made me dig deep and work on myself, right? Mm -hmm. Not just in handling the situation immediately, but in continuing to function within my, with, as a husband, as a father, you know, because at the same time this is happening, my kids graduating high school and going to college yeah, and we're in the middle of COVID right uh -huh. now. I don't know that there's any other way to, to acquire these qualities right? Yeah. than to go through these things. I'm inclined mm. to think there really isn't right. Mm. And so I would say that good has come of this. Yeah, but I don't think that that requires either a narr a grand narrative or any sort of transcendentals. 
but do you think it represents the same impulse to greater value? Well, it's interesting because I wouldn't think of it as requiring a grand narrative. I would think of it as actually being part of a grand narrative. Like your, your experience uh, that you're describing is like part of your own personal story. Mm-hmm. And it's not that it's not that the story comes first. It's, it's you as a person are being sharpened through the experience of a story. What, what I mean is it's not that um, you're, you would be going through suffering in order to make a story great. Mm-hmm. It's rather that the refining of who you are is itself part of making a great story. Um, the story, the is, story is the story is post hoc, right? It's it's post hoc. It serves it serves you, and it comes out of your experiences. So it's not like it's not like the meaningfulness of your experiences or the development of your your character or your thoughts are um, meaningful in virtue of standing in a relation to a great story. Yeah, I would think of it as no. It's a unit. It's 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 almost like there is this very interesting unfolding story of beings because of experiences in states of limitation. It's like we come into states of limitation. We experience relationships that are intrinsically meaningful. We also forge character that could potentially, I mean, depending on your worldview, right. Um, uh, be part of a continuation of stories. I mean, it, it does, Dan, this is interesting hearing you describe your kind of development of your your own character is that I have this thought that well all that development is intrinsically good is intrinsically valuable but also it would continue to be intrinsically good intrinsically valuable if life could continue for you perhaps Mm -hmm. like in other episodes yeah that's the thing about the whether or not it would make it better it's to have added more. value to go longer, which I'm, I'm still, is still percolating. Um, I'm not, I, I haven't, I don't have an answer to that yet. Or th- I don't have a thought about that yet, really mm-hmm. a coherent one. Um, but I wanted to stick on this thing. So I agree with you that this is part of a narrative. Yeah. That's bigger than any moment, obviously. Mm-hmm. And that it's valuable. Um, the question is whether that, means that I really am, I really do hold, hold something that I didn't think I did. Right. And here's why I didn't think it it was because what I'm talking about is the idea that meaning significance, let's call it because meaning has ambiguous. It can also has a linguistic, so let's say significance. Okay. Um, Depends on externals. Either, you know, you know, teleological, either natural theology, teleology yeah. or divine te- teleology. Yeah. yeah. That that, in other words, the fact that I, my life, in looking back, can be put into a narrative that's like, hey, wow, that's pretty, that's that's pretty great, right? That's not looking outside. And what I what I what I find I have difficulty accepting or, or or even really understanding is the need for it to come from outside, both at the individual level but also at the general level, right? So, so the stuff about intelligibility, the stuff about the stuff about morality, isn't just at the individual level that we're talking about now. This is supposed to be sort of general. What there can't be any knowledge. I mean, I've heard Christian apologists say there can't be any truths. Mm-hmm. 
The cat is on the mat. Can't be true unless God exists. Now, to me, this is like lunatic talk, but, <laughs> but, but there's a non-lunatic version of it that we're kind of talking about now that I think is very widely held and that I don't quite understand. And I don't think that what we were just talking about is an instance of, okay, I've been too long again. So please go ahead. Yeah. So it's so interesting, Dan, because there is, there is a non-lunatic version of this argument from sort of, you know, there, there is consciousness, there's meaning, there's truth. Right. And then you ask what kind of ingredients in principle could, result in that there is an argument there but before we get to that argument yeah, because I think we're not that talking argument, about intelligibility now that, yeah. that argument will yeah. lead i think to the most interesting tension between our, our views but before i before we get there I, I really want to just point to the points of agreement because i agree with you that the meaningfulness of our experiences does not depend on its relation to an outside narrative or teleology or intention it's not like somebody has to say i approve that love is valuable for you to have the experience of that um, value. And then or that um, your love is part of yeah. a story that goes to the, that, that is going to fulfill the end of the meaning of the universe and God That's will right. come back. It doesn't have to be things. infinitely long in order for it to have meaning in the present. Absolutely. And I feel like this has to be acknowledged because if this isn't acknowledged and we move into these other metaphysical arguments too quick, those arguments could never have a chance of being convincing at all because there's always this worry that, wait, you're overlooking yeah. the fact that we can have meeting in the present that's yeah. not essentially tied to a longer story or some, somebody approving that it's meaningful. Um, now, here's a thought I haven't, th this is on the edge of my mind, so this is not one that I've really explored too much, but I was just wondering, even if, even if meaning doesn't have to be uh, anchored to an external approval or story, um, could there be some meaning that's added? And I was thinking about this, like in terms of my children, like, so for example, uh, maybe there's a certain kind of game that I set up for them and they're playing and them knowing that the game is set up uh, on purpose, you know, there's teleology behind the game. Like they, they, maybe I've given them an assignment that's special for them. You know, could that add meaning? You know, it's not that it's required for them to have meaning in the fun of the game, but there could, could there be a special kind of meaning that's contributed by an agent that assigns a purpose to somebody. Uh, let's say that they freely accept that assignment, like, oh, this sounds wonderful. So they have a purpose, you know, could that contribute meaning? I wonder what you think about that, you know? So again, the question isn't whether it's required for meaning, but whether an external source could contribute meaning. Yeah, now that's a much tougher proposition, right? So, I mean, I, what I've been reacting to is kind of a very aggressive version of this, right? Which says it's a necessary condition, right? Yeah. And to be fair, I didn't invent it. I mean, I hear, I mean, and I'm not, it's not fringe people. I mean, like I said, I've heard William Lane Craig say this many times. Hmm. Um, and I've heard other people, not quite as big as him, but pretty big, um, you know, Frank Turek and other people, mostly evangelicals say stuff like this. Um I don't think I've ever heard a Greek Orthodox or Roman Catholic talk like this. Actually, mm -hmm. I think it's more, more, pro, more evangelicals that I've heard talk like this. Mm -hmm. um, I've certainly never, I've never heard a rabbi talk like this. Um, and um, um, so it's motivated by reality. I mean, it's not something I'm just, I'm not trying to make a straw man of religious people. I feel that if, in fact, I if, I, if I could just insert here, I mean, yeah, I please. feel like part of the value of what you're doing, is you're helping to bring some greater clarity, maybe carve some distinctions. Because I think even when people from a certain tradition will say that 
you need an external source in order to have meaning. I think that itself can be translated in different ways. Mm. And so you think, um, one I, may, you think I may be mis misinterpreting them. I don't, I don't know. Uh, you know, I always like to seek the most charitable interpretation. Yeah, 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 you know, maybe not. Right. So, so yeah. maybe there is, um, you know, maybe there's an intended meaning that actually is false, but there's a true meaning that's sort of in the neighborhood. Right. right. And which, part of what you're doing is helps tease is that out. You're supposed to do. I mean, you're yes. supposed to give your opponent the better version of his argument, even if he doesn't know what it is. Right. Um, um, which seems to me the right thing to do, because the point of inquiry is to get somewhere. Right. Um, um, it's not it's not warfare. Um, um, so let me now tackle the, the more difficult version which is the less aggressive version which is no 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 i'm not saying that you know you dan kaufman you're not really satisfied even though you think you are because you don't have jesus that's that's not the point right the point actually is i've got jesus and man i've got all you've got and then i've got even more right um <laughs> now i think that that's you know that's hard to that's hard to deny i mean how do you how do you deny that Here's what you I might want to accept that you, you might want to say that's right. right. And in fact, that's why you might worry that belief in these things is based on wishful thinking. Like it does add value. Right. But here's the thing. No, but that's exactly what I'm going to get at. Yeah. It seems to me that all that's required for that to be true is that the person believe a story of such of, of such a sort. It doesn't actually have to be true the story true good point yes right for the for the meaning for in the experience life, of the meaning for the meaning yeah. in life for the meaning of yeah. life it would require it to actually be true right mm -hmm. but for the meaning in life you know this is why yeah. you know joshua this is why i never try to convince anybody i never try to talk anybody out of these things because why why piss in someone's cheerios right i mean let him let him unless he's unless he's doing something to you right mm -hmm. Let him if he's why I would never try to puncture someone's you know happy illusion right, but but it doesn't need to be. Well, I help I hope true, you would right? help puncture my illusions. You know, I I would because I want the truth, Dan. So but you know what I mean, though, right? I do, of course. You know, yes. I don't go around trying to convince people that the things that matter to them don't really matter, right? That's mm -hmm. a shitty, right? I don't know. I, I I it's something I don't like to. I don't like it when people do it, and I don't like to do it. Um um um. But I don't think it requires that the grander narrative be true. It just requires that you hold it, right? I agree with that. Absolutely, 100%. In fact, this goes back to that sort of circularity problem with how meaning gets started. Because if in order for meaning to get started, there has to be a being that says, let life have meaning, then either that being had no life prior to making that uh, statement, or it had a life. Um, if it had no life, then, uh, you know, I think that's going to be inconsistent with the sort of standard view. I mean, like, how could it actually say anything or deem anything without a life? But if it has a life, then nothing right. external to it made its life meaningful. Right. And so in that sense, I mean, I feel like that's a really important point that I want to just join, join with you on. So that meaning is really in life. And it comes through experiences of certain sorts. Yeah. And then the next question, the deep metaphysical question is, what does it take? What kind of a world, what kind of a reality could result in the existence of beings that can experience and feel and stories? I mean, I, I think it's sort of bewildering, Dan, when I just think about how mindless noise could ever, in principle, let alone probabil probabilistically predict 
an interesting conversation like that. I mean, like, like this one, I mean, imagine you turn on the TV and it's just like white noise. I don't think that the white noise on the, on the TV would ever produce conscious feelings, but even if it could in principle, I wouldn't, I would expect that. So that that's kind of where I, I would maybe wonder, you know, like, how do you get meaning from mindlessness? Like, it seems like meaning requires a mind that's already there. And that, that's maybe the, the deepest point where we might. Yeah, I guess, disagree. I guess, you know, that this will come, this will probably have to do more with differences between us on what value is right um um which i did talk about in one of the other um essays that i'd linked to you um i don't see value as anything more than an expression than than a kind of expression of human sensibility which i would simply give a ultimately naturalistic treatment of right um um in that sense you know i agree with bernard williams that 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 value is a property of valuing creatures it's it's not it's a mistake that's why you know i i really really constantly promote his essay the human prejudice mm-hmm. um which is about animal rights but but well, gets that's what i was going to ask you i mean does it have to be human could it be like pigs well it would have having... to be it would have to be something personal it, it would be look it would be it would it would be tied to whatever the material conditions out of which what we call personhood arise and Mm -hmm. you know in principle of course you know it it could be substrate it could be you know uh sub substrate heterogeneous let's say right um um but but i don't we don't i don't know if we need to get that much into the well maybe maybe we do i mean because we we might i might be able to um allow for your account here actually i'm not sure this is to me value is just all that value is is something mattering to someone so, so what about so what about a happy else. doesn't have to be doesn't have to be a someone i mean let's say you've got a happy pig is the happiness of the pig valuable for the pig or does it does it have to actually sort of cognitively recognize that it's happy? i think that matters as a two-place predicate so it has to relate x matters to, to y x matters punked in my view is ungrammatical so if you had two pigs one one was happy and the other had no emotions at all. And the pig wasn't thinking about itself. So its happiness didn't matter to itself, but it was experiencing that sort of positive sensation. Um, and let's say nobody else is thinking about that pig. And then Dan, you walk in and now you start thinking about the pig. And the question for you is before you started thinking about pay, the pig, was that pig experiencing something valuable in virtue of its happiness? Not knowing the consciousness of the pig, I couldn't tell you, but if the pig is the sort of creature to whom okay. things can matter. Yeah. And yes, those, those things matter to them. Okay. Now, whether right, it matters so me... to you is another question entirely. Right. And I think a lot of the problems in ethics sure. arise out of people thinking that there's such a thing as just mattering period when there isn't right. Um, um, and, you know, I, I mean, I, I've had this fight mostly with ethical vegans, mm-hmm. but I could have the same art, you know, fight, fight i could have the same fight sure. with you know certain kinds of theists it seems to me i just don't i don't accept the idea that there is value independent of mattering to someone right now in my view it's the burden on the burden is on the person who thinks there is to, to, to tell me what the basis of it is now i understand that basis if it's god hmm. but i don't think there is one i understand that basis if it's you know teleologically thick nature 
but I don't think there is one, right? And so that's all that's left. In other words, to me, well, this is option. one of the fundamental insights of modernity, right? Okay. Um, this is what separates the modern from the pre-modern in a, to a great extent. It's not the only thing, right? Yeah. But it's one of the great things. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, if the pig is the sort of thing to whom things can matter, then yes, there's value to the pig, right? Now, whether the pig is valuable to me is a different question. Yeah. Well, that I think ethical vegans completely ignore. It's like they never explain why exactly the, the, the pig should matter to me more than the mm-hmm. pork chops. Right. Um, they always wind up appealing to some sort of independent mattering that I don't think exists. Right. Um, um, so anyway, this is interesting because, yeah, no, I mean, I, I was thinking that maybe there's another option, which is that sure. there's just something valuable about having positive conscious experiences whether or not you also stand in this relation of uh, acknowledging that value or it's mattering to you. So for example, like I would take it that you as a person have a kind of intrinsic value. And even if you started having severe self-doubts and you start stopped mattering to yourself, um, I would say there would be something kind of sad about that precisely because you would be a locus of value. And, and I wouldn't have to value you. God wouldn't have to value you to have value it's the other way i don't value if i don't if i don't matter to myself and i don't matter to anyone else that would be sad but yeah but that doesn't what does that have to do with whether it's true or false well but it would be sad i think the sadness indicates that there's a a mismatch between um your feeling of what matters and what actually does matter like it would be sad that you don't matter to you precisely because you do matter that strikes me as a kind of a sentimental refusal to accept the tragic dimension of life And and to me that's that's one of the, the the keystones of maturity. Right. I mean, that's that's part of the difference between a child and an adult is that the, the adult under, understands that there is a certain tragic dimension to life that that the fact well, that it's sad it doesn't tragic? mean it's what untrue. Makes it tra- what, since I'm, I'm thinking it's the opposite. This actually faces the tragedy. It actually acknowledges that it would be tragic precisely because there's value there. It would be tragic for you not to matter to yourself. It would be there's something said there precisely there are because competing notions of tragedy here that we could talk sure. about, but I'm not yeah. sure they're resolvable. But no, I accept I understand what you mean by tragic. Mm-hmm. But I do think that what I'm just what, what I'm saying is is involved in in in, in confronting the tragic dimension to life is also, a, a you know, a, a pretty I mean, listen, come on. The one I'm talking about is, you know, a pretty mild, a very mild version of what, you know, every existentialist is going to tell you. Right. Um, 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 and um, while I think that goes way too far with it and involves all sorts of dubious metaphysics of itself. Um, um well, I'm with you on facing the tragedy of life. I think that's yeah. an important insight. Yeah. And I can even grant that value depends on what matters to you, at least for sake of argument, because my, my deeper metaphysical problem with generating value from sort of mindless noise is, um, is, is actually relocated now in terms of how you generate the kinds of beings. It's sort of the hard problem of consciousness, right? It's like, how could unconscious sand or cosmic debris turn into a meaning or a purpose or even a feeling or yeah. a mattering. Yeah. That, that strikes me. I mean, it's interesting because yeah. I love how you write and you'll just express, you know, this seems like craziness to me. It might not be craziness to others. Like for me to be so honest, Dan, when I think about just cosmic debris turning into yeah. a live yeah. consciousness, yeah. that strikes me as like one of the most 
Well, it doesn't always strike me as one of the most absurd things. I have to, I have to sort of get in the right way of like thinking about it and seeing it in its detail. It'll yeah. strike me. It'll just like, that can't be. Yeah. Um, but if I think about it too far away from it and it's more just abstract, I'm sort of philosophizing about it. Then I don't really see the absurdity so clearly. Yeah. So I, I don't think you have to be able to see the absurdity, but I think it, it is something that can't. Yeah, and we, that issue we discussed pretty substantially in our yeah. discussion, one of our sure. discussions of the prolegomena. And one of the things I said to you then, and that, that I'll say now is just that, you know, the way that I confront those network of issues is through the Solarsian lens of the manifest and the scientific. And so to me, um, consciousness and, and a lot of the sort of the stuff, the, the, the family of concepts that, that you're talking within to me all belong to the manifest image and are sort of, are sort of characteristics of spaces defined by intentionality and other sort of, and that, that, that arise out of a kind of, now, look, if you're going to ask me, well, where does all that going to come from? I'm going to tell some natural, the, I'm going to uh, tell yes, some natural selection story. I'm going to tell some natural sections, but I do think that once discursive spaces are created, they have their own properties that are not reducible, right, to to more fundamental ones. But that doesn't mean they come from giant invisible super beings. Right. I mean, you know, that to me is just like I agree with you there, (laughs) you know, like, well, you know, all right. You know, well, you know, why is that any better explanation than it came from aliens or it came from you know, my immortal grandmother, I don't know. I mean, you know, they're all, to me, there you, the problem is a a problem of, of how you individuate all the non-existent possibility, you know, that Quinean thing about how many, um, how many non-existing bald men are in the doorway, um, um, that sort of stuff, like from on what there is. Um, um, But anyway, but we we already talked about that. So I don't, I I, I did. Although when we talked about it, that was before I wrote my book on consciousness. And now, now that I've written a draft of my book, these things have become increasingly prominent in my mind. Yeah, they're all you're thinking about. The the problems problems that seemed problematic before seem even more problematic now and for 25 new reasons. So actually what I I was going to write an essay that said that the hard problem of consciousness is actually an issue, a matter of grammar. Um, um, I actually think it, it has something to do with some of the really weird things that happen in logic and grammar with um, self-reflective discourse, similar mm. to liar paradoxes and other sorts of things, that I actually don't think there's. I actually don't think there's any any actual problem. But but mm. that's just the Wittgenstein in me. Um, but I want to. I don't want to get this clouded. Sure. I want to concur with you that you've offered a second notion of tragedy that I think is fair. That um, that 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 my view is weaker on. Right. I mean, I, I can't really answer that. All I can say in defense is I meant tragic in a different, I think, a slightly different sense. Or um, even just um, slightly sad. You know, if something's yeah. slightly sad, there's something negative about oh, yeah. thinking yeah. that something doesn't have value if it does have value. Um, you know, yeah. but if you say it just doesn't have value when it's not mattering to somebody, then I, I'm not sure how that would be sad. In it. But, you know, maybe there's a translation. I, I think I'm inclined have to, to re- think more about that. I'm inclined to reject the idea of intrinsic value in Mm. general, other than perhaps in what you said, the sort of the intrinsic value of the positive experience. Right. I mean that, and that I think is sort of Mill's view, right? I mean, Mill, 
Mill is often misinterpreted as thinking that value is a gen- that value is a generic quality that mm-hmm. happiness produces, right? Which seems to then make it. But no, what he means is that all these different pleasures, they all have such different contents, right? The value is inherent in each of them, right? I mean, and, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think, you know, um, I think that's absolutely right. Um, 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 and so, but I don't think that things are intrinsically valuable or events or, or states of happiness. Yeah, I, I have to think about that. I mean, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe we should move on to the next one only because we could spend the whole time. Yeah, on yeah, this. Please do. And I yeah. just I don't want to abuse your time. And, and I also I have to I have to as, as you move on. I, I just kind of want to know maybe this is for the audience, but um, just kind of a sort of a summary of our conversation at this point, which is that it sounds like there are some very important objections to the argument that you need some sort of fundamental mind or consciousness or God or whatever, in order for there to be meaningfulness in life. And, and I think that we agree about the problem with lots of different kinds of arguments um, for thinking that you need that fundamental mind, in particular, the kinds of arguments that would analyze the very nature of meaning or the very nature of yeah. positivity or value yeah. in terms of an external relation to some story. I think it's really important. That's an important point of agreement. And then while we may disagree about the severity or the analysis of the hard problem of consciousness, I think you'll agree that at least that's another kind of argument um, to, to be explored. Another yes. kind of argument that goes from there couldn't be meaning without a fundamental mind. Yeah. So even if, if you'll reject that argument, it's importantly different. Well, the kind I, of I mean, listen, I can reject it, with. but the fact of the matter is, is that it's, it is a position that people plenty of people hold and so you can't act like it's not there i mean um absolutely um um i want to say one thing because i have now percolated sufficiently on the question of whether value is added by continuing on longer sounds good um and i'm just going to say a few scattered things that are all in the orbit and then i'd, I'd lo- like to hear your thoughts um here's one thing as I'm getting older, here's something I'm noticing. When I was younger, if you'd asked me, would you like to live to be three, 400 years old or for live forever? I would have said, what are you kidding me? Of course. Right. <laughs> I'm now increasingly beginning to think that less and less, not because of infirmity. In other words, there's an obvious reason not mm-hmm. to, you know, if, if the answer is you can be lifted 400, but you're going to be like your father in a wheelchair, not being able to breathe. The answer is no, thanks. I, let's stipulate healthfulness. Okay. That's not the reason. It's a combination of the world becoming increasingly alien to you as you get older, as I'm mm-hmm. finding. I've actually started to wonder whether this is one of the things that makes death palatable is that increasingly you get to the point to where you feel like the world you're in is not your world anymore. Mm. I'm starting to feel that way more and more. Mm. I mean, Hunter S. Thompson felt that way. He said it explicitly. He shot himself. Mm. Now that's a very extreme version. And obviously Hunter S. Thompson is a very extreme guy. One of my heroes, interestingly enough, um, mm. despite all of his flaws, one of the most 
honest critics mm-hmm. I've ever read mm-hmm. um, um, and made criticisms that I think we really needed to hear. Um, so the one thing is, I just feel increasingly the longer you go, the farther out of touch and out of relation you get to the world and it becomes increasingly a source of discomfort, social distress, and so on and so forth. So that's one element, one thing I just wanted to throw out. Number two, in a more basic sense, I'm also getting tired of myself, if I'm being honest. Okay. There's a certain weariness. It's just like, you know, I'm tired of hearing my own voice. I'm tired of hearing my own stories. I'm tired. It's just like, I feel like I'm getting to, I could see a point at which I'd say, you know what? I really have had enough. I just have had enough. Well, I, I can't, had enough of I don't want to do this at the 300,000th and one more time. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of had enough. I can see that point. Right. So that's number two. Mm-hmm. I won't go on very long. Um, the last two things have more to do with psychological well-being. Yeah. And, um, so it's not a secret. I tell I, this is not something I'm, I'm, I'm private about. I, 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 I'm in regular psychotherapy. Very nice young lady. And um, ostensibly to just help deal with the stuff I'm going through right now mm-hmm. with my parents. Um, partly because of its impact on me emotionally, but partly also that I don't want to become horrible to the people around me. And I will often catch myself snapping at somebody and I realize I'm just expressing frustration. That's from this other thing over here. So part of the reason I I also go is to just sort of get like a reality check every week, Mm -hmm. someone I can be entirely abusive around where I'm not abusing them. Right. Mm -hmm. I know what you mean. And, and where that's their, their, their professionals, that's their freaking Mm -hmm. job. And they haven't seen any, you can't do anything. They haven't seen worse. Right. All that to me is important, right? And one of the things that's really been coming out in therapy for me is that part of my distress has been caused by my grand narrativing too many things Mm -hmm. and them just being constantly disappointed, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. one narrative I had was that the life with my parents represents a kind of arc, and there's this beginning where I'm helpless and they're taking care of me and they're acculturating me. And then there's this, and then you come down and then there's the end. And then there's going to be some sort of closure and resolution. And you're going to sort of, there's going to, you're going to summarize this arc and not a damn single one of those things is, has happened is going to happen. There's going to be no uh, satisfying resolution. It's going to be a misery to the end simply because of my father's nature and personality and the way he mm-hmm. is. He's going to fight this to the end. He's never going to accept it. We're never going to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. It's devastating. And I could tell you four or five more narratives like that that I've had about marriage, about parenthood, all these things. Yeah. And they all are going to come to naught. All right. Given their, in their form, they're going to come to naught. And even in personal relationships, it seems like I can't have a friendship without trying to make a big project out of it. Hey, you know, we should do this together. And then inevitably the person flakes out because as I always find, 
I'm always the most intense guy in the room, right? <laughs> and what the therapist said to me, really, what we sort of discussed is that you really need to start just thinking of the good times as enough. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be part of a big, in other words, what I want to say to you is that I think there actually may be a negative to that kind of extension and narrativizing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in these very personal ways I've just described. Now, let me give the last piece and then I'm done. Yeah. This figures very heavily into the, the writing of one of my most cherished authors. And that's Joan Didion. Joan Didion has a line at the beginning of her book, the white album. We tell ourselves stories in order to live. And the idea being that narrative is essential to our self-conception to our lives. But then she also says, if you read this, her novel, play it as it lays. The whole thing is about how those narratives destroy us. And the only character in the book who makes it through to the end intact Hmm. is the one who was able to drop them all and to live more according to something a little bit akin to the gambler's ethos. I'm done. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. Um, I was just on that last point. I was thinking about man's search for meaning, Mm. Uh, you know, and and I haven't, I, I read portions of it and I remember he was describing sort of this experience in the concentration camps where they found meaning, uh, they found kind of a higher purpose, but it, it was kind of in the present. So it wasn't attached to external big grand scale narratives. Um, at least that was my interpretation. It was like, they, they felt like they were a certain kind of person if they yeah. kept a promise or they helped others. And that was experiencing the meaning in the present. You know, I wonder if those can go together. Uh, your final point, and then the idea of having this, this sort of pushback that no, actually, those narratives are really destructive, ultimately, I think they can be, especially if um, they don't match up with reality, or even if they do match up with reality, they could cause you to be disconnected from the present. So you're not paying attention to what's good in your present life. You know, because one problem with a narrative is it's sort of invisible. And there's kind of maybe that worry that you're attaching your hope and your happiness to something that may not even be there. Uh, it's, it's not present to you. And so what we do is we exchange the present goodness uh, for something abstract and who knows if it's attainable. That's why I think that in order for narratives to actually be helpful, it does have to connect up in some way to your present experience. Um, but even then there is the risk, you know, if, it, if it's not. Could you stop there for a minute? Reality. Yes. Is what, do you mean that? And how do you mean that? What I just got from that was. If the present. Is rendered too obscure or invisible by the narrative. Yeah. The narrative's no good. Right. I mean, sort of like the, the, the narrative it loses its is only good if it, if it highlights the present. Right. Um, the problem is here's let me ask you this and I'll, this is the last thing on this front that I'll say so here's one of the problems that here's the here's one of the problems that, that I have had right what's going on now 
is now causing me to revisit my earlier years with my parents mm-hmm. and to ask myself some very hard things about what my relationship actually was as opposed to what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, I actually think this is very destructive sort of thinking. I stopped myself. But the only way I could was to say, stop, excuse me, fucking connecting everything together like there's some freaking novel you're in, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess I th- that what I'm trying to say and what I think the therapist was trying to say is yeah. that it's a very easy thing to do. It's maybe even a natural thing to do, but it's 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 usually a bad thing to do to novelize your life, right? And to me, all these narratives, including the really super big cosmic religious ones are novelizations, right? That are going to inevitably disappoint, right? Because of just what we are, right? People are just difficult and irascible and inconsistent. And and those stories are never gonna come true, right? Because of the way you write them, right? They're not realistic stories. They're not stories that accept all the complexity and heterogeneity. And I'm up one day and I'm down one day and I'm, I love you to death. This And tomorrow I wish you disappear. All of which happens to everyone in every relationship. Mm-hmm. So I guess I am sort of inveighing against narrative narratives on this front. Um, mm-hmm. But you seem to think that there is a good version of it. <laughs> well, um, it's funny as, as you were talking. Uh, m- mostly, my heart was just completely with you. I was like, "Yeah, that, that's so that's so true." And then I had a thought, and I thought, "Oh, this this might not be too sensitive to share this." But I don't care. But I, I had just had this thought, which is like, you know, I mean, the best narratives, the best stories, are ones where the hero experiences the uncertainties that yeah. you're talking about yeah. because of real life disappointments, and there are real life disappointments. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I want to sort of be careful about extremes, you know, saying that no narrative could ever help help you. Um, but I but also Fair I can enough. certainly see the destructiveness of, of narratives. And I like how you put it in terms of if it can connect in a meaningful way to the present and highlight good things in the present, real good things, things that you're acquainted with, uh, real relationships, real thoughts, even even just the value of like being able to be aware. There's something about that. Um I don't know. I've I've been thinking about some of these things recently where I would kind of wake up and I would, instead of being sort of abstract and in my head, thinking about concepts, I would be sort of paying attention to what's good in the present. And it would kind of ground me. And I feel like that's just so important. 